Okay, we on? Okay, good morning everyone. Thank you, Glynis. Good morning, everyone else. And good morning, that's, that's about three people. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, know you're, I know you're having very deep and meaningful conversations, so I'm so sorry to interrupt you. We're going to have a talk now. I'm going to be speaking, beginning our new series about prayer, called Praying Together. Very, very uh, creative, eh? It's called Praying Together. And this message is called Revolution. And um, we're going to be, over the next nine weeks, looking at what it means to pray together. And I know that's quite a long time, uh, but it's important, isn't it? It's an important subject, a difficult subject, a subject that I think we all struggle with, praying together, being together to pray. It was so good, and I didn't realize I were going to do it this morning, to hear Lucy and Jem praying and us joining them. And it's important that we pray for the world and for our own needs and pray for each other because prayer has power because prayer connects us with God who has all, all authority and power. And we can see great breakthroughs in our lives and around us in our communities through praying together. And there's many discouragements. I don't know about you, but I find it, you know, Praying together is challenging. There are many discouragements, and we need encouragement. So nine weeks, praying together. We're basing it on a course, loosely basing it on a course, called The Prayers of Many. And I would encourage you to buy the book. Is a slide going to come up with the book? Is that going to come up? Yes, a slide. Yes, it. I'd encourage you to buy the book if you can. I think most community group leaders have now got that book. I'd encourage you to buy it. And in our community groups, we're going to be covering this course together, looking at what it means to pray together from that. But loosely on a Sunday morning, we're going to be covering kind of the topics that that book talks about. So today's message is called Revolution. Revolution. And in summary, as you can see there, a revolution in praying together leads to spiritual revolution inside and outside of the church. Let's say that again. A revolution in praying together. A revolution, I mean revolving. Turn around and pray together. If, we will, if there will be a revolution in praying together, this leads to spiritual revolution inside the church for all of us. And it leads to a revolution outside of the church as in the communities around us, and the world. And the moves of God around the world, and the way the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth, has been because people have prayed, and churches have prayed. And it's praying people that God can use, because they're the people that are open to his power, and he can work in them. When I first became a Christian, when I was around 18, I'd never been to church, really, apart from maybe in some school things. But... As I was saying to some people actually on Alpha, this was my experience of prayer growing up. Um, I was saying to them, we were talking about prayer recently on the Alpha course. And um, I was saying that at school, we, we, used to, we used to say the Lord's Prayer in our assemblies most days. 
I can't remember how many days a week it was, most days. And I, I, I was fine. I was, and so when I got to about 13, I became a little rebel, you know, when you do when you're about 13. And I, I just said, nope, because I didn't believe in God. I'm not going to say the Lord's Prayer anymore. And I would stand there all proud of myself that I was um, full of integrity in not saying the Lord's Prayer. But I'm grateful that the, teach, the head teacher, Mr. Mitchell, taught us the Lord's Prayer because I knew it off by heart even before I was a Christian. So I entered the Christian life knowing something. I knew the Lord's Prayer. So if you're a teacher or you're involved in education, encourage your teaching staff to teach their children this important piece of literature, the Lord's Prayer. But praying together may just be something that you've experienced like that. And it still has some, some credit to it. It still teaches us some stuff. But I, I became a Christian at 18. And the church I joined were committed to prayer. They were a praying church. Sunday mornings before church, from 8 till 9 in the morning, sorry, 7 till 8 in the morning, they would pray. And there'd be a good number of people turn up. There would be Sunday evening prayer meetings, 7.30 or 6.30 till 8, 9. Anyway, it was an hour, hour and a half every Sunday evening. We would have weeks of prayer as we're doing here, weeks of fasting. And all of this came out of the fact that we were a part of a movement of churches led by a man called Terry Virgo, who's still with us in his 80s now. But he's a man who talked a lot about prayer and prayed a lot and prays a lot. And I think that influence of that one person, he was influenced by others. But, but what he found was, by reading lots of Christian biographies and Christian history, you find that, that church break, breakthrough in the gospel comes through a praying church and through praying people. So he encouraged us as a movement called New Frontiers to be a praying people. So I joined this church, not knowing anything about all that, but I, real, I, I realized at some time later that not every church does devote itself to prayer. And um, I was grateful that I joined a church like that, and I became convinced of the power of prayer. This is what Terry Virgo wrote in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church. Without prayer, local churches are telling God, it's okay, we can handle things. Thank you. Did you get that? Without prayer, local churches are telling God, it's okay, we can handle things. Thank you. The New Testament church suffered from no such delusion. And, that, and, and he's a man, he, if you know Terry Virgo, he's a... He's a very kind and pleasant man. He, he, didn't, he doesn't write things to pour guilt on us. He, he, he says things, and I want to say the things to you this morning, because, not because I want to make your life miserable, but because I want to see what you want to see, which is the goodness of God in people's lives, isn't it? The goodness of God in your life, the joy of life in your family, joy of God in your family, the joy of God in your street, the joy, joy of God in your schools, your colleges, your places of work. I, I, we talk about this because, not to load you, not to, not to burden you, but to release your burden. Because when you pray, you release your burden to God. Otherwise, you have to carry it yourself. And that's the point of prayer. It's coming to God, bringing our things to God and our burdens to God. So we can release them to Him. 
the one who can make a real difference. So I came into the Christian life and I was greatly influenced by the movement I was a part of. And I don't know where you're at in, a, at, in terms of praying together in various settings. But I want to encourage you through this series to believe in prayer, to believe in the power of prayer. I'm encouraged by our recent prayer meetings at this church. I'm, I'm encouraged over, over recent months that we've seen growing numbers as we pray together on a Sunday afternoon. And a growing passion as well. And I feel a growing expectation in people as well. Because it's a sacrifice to come and pray, isn't it? And so I want to thank you. But you know what? It's also for your good and for our good. It's, it's a great thing to do. And it's so good to see you coming along and seeing passion growing. I feel that God, obviously that's why we're doing this series, is calling us back to the vital place of praying together. We just finished a series in Jonah because we were talking about mission, weren't we? And talking about serving, investing, inviting in our communities, being good news, sharing the good news. But on top of that, there needs to be a praying together as well because we can't do this. We can't change anybody's heart or life. You can't convince anybody about Jesus and you can't make them believe. You can only share with them your story and the story and the good news of Jesus, of how he died for them and rose again. But you can't. I mean, I know for myself, my own, con my own conversion, my own coming to Jesus was just a dawning, a sense of, oh, I, be I now believe this. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray and share. Mike Betts, in this book, The Prayers of Many, wrote, I, I remain convinced that when God's people pray, it unleashes the resources of heaven upon earth in ways simply nothing else can do. Let me read that again. I remain convinced. I, I want us to be convinced. I want to be convinced. I remain convinced, that's why he wrote the book, I remain convinced that when God's people pray, it unleashes it, leashes the resources of heaven upon the earth in ways simply nothing else can do. We need to be convinced of this, to make space for this in our busy and stressful lives. We must be convinced to make time to pray together in different ways, and I'll talk about those different ways, but to make time for it means we must be convinced about it. It requires faith. Faith in God and faith that your involvement in praying together is important. That going AWOL isn't, isn't, isn't good. Being involved is good for you. And good for everyone. You need to be convinced of this. Like Mike Betts talks about. We may feel like that proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, I don't know what your life is like. Maybe you feel like that camel in the desert. Loaded down. Heavy. Carrying too much in your life. 
worries as well as responsibilities. But what I'm laying on you today, I hope, is not the proverbial straw, but rather seeking to bring you to the well of water where you can drink. Because prayer, praying together, is connecting us to God and connecting to the Holy Spirit by which we find fresh resources to carry on in joy in this life. I want you convinced of that. You need to be convinced of that. That's not to say you can't have time out and stuff like that. I mean, recently I didn't go to a prayer meeting. <gasps> I didn't go to a prayer meeting because I felt a bit unwell. And, so I, just, and, and, and I felt just, just exor- a, bit t- a bit worn out and I didn't go. I decide, but I decided I wouldn't go for which I felt, felt were good reasons. And there's perfectly good reasons why not to go. But generally speaking, the tenor of our life and the tone of our life should be, I hope, devotion to praying together. John Wesley said this, I have so much to do and so little time that I have to spend two hours in daily prayer. Well, you know, he's saying it, he's just being practical, isn't he? If what you do requires God's power, then praying for it is going to help you to do it. It's just practical. And um, it's a bit like, you know, I'm saying I'm too busy to wash. You know, I don't know if you ever say that. You know, I'm just too busy to wash. Maybe if you're a teenager, you might say that. But, you know, I'm just too busy to wash. Now, I've become convinced, you know, that I need to wash. I don't know about you. Just raise your hand if you feel convinced to wash. Don't. I feel convinced. I'm glad you feel convinced to wash on a daily basis, to brush your teeth on a daily basis. I'm sure you, twice even. Maybe, maybe if you could, uh, let me just raise the game. Let's brush our teeth twice a day, guys. You're convinced, aren't you? You know you're convinced and you make time for it. Likewise, I don't know if you added up how much time it takes you to shower. I mean, it take a, I take a long time. I, have, I like having baths. Do you like having baths? Yeah, baths. Like Brenda's like, it's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel it. It's like heaven on earth, you know? Get in the bath and just take some time out. Helen says, stop using up the water. I said, I've earned this. I've earned this. <laughs> no joke, we do have this little thing. <laughs> Sorry to wash our dirty garments in public. But no, I am worth it, aren't I, guys? Do you, know, do you not think I'm worth a bath? I think I am. And, and, you're, gla- and, and, you're, glad, and you're glad I wash as well, aren't you? But, but what I'm saying, it's very simple. It's being convinced of these obvious things in life. It's just the same with praying together. We need to be convinced about it. That it's important and helpful, useful for you, useful for everyone. Jo, uh, John Owen the Puritan wrote, wrote, the Holy Spirit teaches and enables us to pray by making us aware of our need. It's aware of our need, which drives us to God, who alone can meet that need. He, re- he reveals our need. That's and so important. We're weak. We're so weak, aren't we? So weak. I feel so thick. I don't want an amen. Yes, amen. I do. Honestly, I say, Lord, I, I just don't know anything. I don't, I, what can I do? I don't feel like I can do anything. 
And obviously I can, because God's gifted me in the way I am. You know, I have to get over that. But we all feel like that. And we need God. God, God it's, a good thing to, it's a good thing to be reminded of who you are in your weakness so you can depend on God. That's positive. It's obviously not good to be reminded of your weakness so you can go around going, oh, I'm useless the rest of your life, not doing anything. God reminds us of our weakness so we can pray and then try things and attempt things. So the Holy Spirit wants to convince us of prayer. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would convince us of your existence, for one, if, if we're here as unbelievers today. But secondly, if we do know you, that we can pray in, through Christ. We can pray and see great breakthroughs. Would you convince us, Holy Spirit, teach us today. Amen. So God wants us to have a revolution. A revolution in praying together leads to a revolution inside and outside of the church. And I'm going to read to you from 2 Chronicles 7, 13 to 16, which is a wonderful uh, promise and challenge about prayer. It says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now this is in context, David, not David, Solomon, they've just finished building the temple. And when they finished building the temple, it, it, it says that the power of God, the fire of God, the presence of God felt, fell so powerfully on the people and the temple in that, that place that they were overwhelmed by the glory of God. This was a moment of, we, you could call it revival. The power of God being poured out when they've just finished this stone temple, this building in Israel. And then God makes this promise to Solomon, who's been responsible for building the temple. He makes this promise that if you come to a place where you've disobeyed me and you've fallen away from me and you've stopped obeying my commands and you've stopped listening to me, and you've stopped praying, and you've stopped loving me, and, and you've just moved away from me, which you may say, oh, that's so selfish of God to want that. But I want to say this, to, to love God and put him first is, is what's best for us. To give, what is, to give value to what is most valuable is important to us. And he makes this promise that if you should move, fall away from me, then, then if you come back and humble yourselves and pray, I will heal you. I will restore you. I will forgive you. And heal the land. We're in a time of spiritual drought. 
It says here, when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land and send a plague among my people. I'm talking in using this in metaphorical terms. There is God promises us that he will discipline those he loves, his church. He disciplines those he loves as any parent would. He loves us. And therefore, he wants the best for us. And we're in a spiritual drought. The church is weak. I'm talking about in this nation now. In many parts of the world, the church is very strong. The church is very prayerful. The church is loving the Bible. Many parts of the world, the church does pray and does humble themselves and does love God. But many, I would say, in our nation and in the West... Have, are turning away from God. People who call themselves Christians are turning away from God. Maybe they say they go to church. Maybe they say they love God. But in reality, the church is weak. The church in many places is in error, believing lies. The church in many ways is ineffective in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Lacking passion to do so, lacking the compassion and the courage to share the gospel. Therefore, we see very few people, we do see people become Christians, don't we? Many people become Christians across this nation. The reason why this church is here is because people have become Christians. You've become a Christian. So God is, people are becoming Christians, but not in the numbers that I believe we should be seeing. That's because the church is weak. And, and we're not praying, and we're not humble in many ways. This is quite heavy, I appreciate that, but you know, the, I'm, I want to drive this home to convince you of the need of prayer. There is a spiritual drought. In, the church in many quarters is allowing the world to shape its identity rather than, rather, and, and, and the world to shape its beliefs and morality, rather than the church being a city, a light set on a hill that she's meant to be, and influencing the world for good, and being salt and light, so that the world doesn't harm itself as much as it could do, and also to bring people to Jesus. We should be moved, brothers and sisters, with jealousy for God's honour. We should be moved with compassion on the many who are shepherds, whose shepherds are leading them astray. All of this should break our hearts in order to pray. Our sense of awe, uh, mourning for the church and for the nation. We should be mourning they will be filled. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted, as it were, as it says. We should break our hearts to pray. We must pray for the church in our nation to repent and be revived. We must pray for this world to see again the, the light coming from the church as she unashamedly speaks in truth and love. It says here, if my people, if my people, the people of God, if my people, 
Who are the people of God? Well, at this time, we're talking about Israel. But we are in, in our era, in this age, after Christ, we're talking about all who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. They are the people of God. If one receives God, Jesus into their life, they become a child of God. They become a member of his family. They become a part of his people. And that's what's true of all of us. We are a part of the people of God, an international body of people throughout every nation, tribe and tongue, all within this people of God who have received Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful if you travel to go around the world and meet brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus Christ in all the corners of this earth. It's wonderful what God has done. But this is our day, guys. This is our generation. This is our moment. The baton's been passed to us. Are we going to drop the baton? Or are we going to pray? Are we going to pray? Are we going to intercede for the church that she would stand and be that light that this world needs to be, this world needs to see? The Bible talks about us as the people of God. We are a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at the dignity that you have, brothers and sisters. That we should drag Jesus' name through the dirt. We are a holy nation. That's who we're meant to be. A people for God. Chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So if you are a part of this priesthood, see in Israel, they had priests. They wore special garments. They prayed and interceded for the people. They offered sacrifices of worship. But now in the New Testament, in this era, we are a priesthood. We offer our praises. We offer our prayers. We're all priests here. Raise your hand if you're a priest this morning. Yeah, you are. A priest. Every single one of you. A royal, not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood. And this isn't just so we can say, yes, isn't this wonderful? I'm a Christian and I'm loved by God. It's so that we can turn and pray and see God do great things around the world and in our communities. But it says here, if my people, there's a choice here. If my people, if they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face. You see, he's not going to coerce us. I'm encouraging you this morning. But we, each of us have got to feel, yes, convinced. I'm a royal, I'm part of this royal priesthood. I'm part of this people. I believe that if I humble myself and pray, he will heal this land. And he will heal the church. I need to be convinced of this myself. Because, as I've said, it's a sacrifice to give time and energy to this. Let me read to you from another book I'm reading called A Praying Church. It says this, A church with rich history, 
Flawless music. I think we had flawless music this morning, didn't we? Do you not? Isn't it good this morning? We've got a rich history, haven't we? As a church. Haven't we? Yeah, we've got a rich history. We've got a letter from Charles Spurgeon at the, you know, planting of this church in 1875. We've been in, you know, uh, this church has been here in this location for over 150, well, 150 years-ish. And uh, more, over 100, is it over 150 years? Probably isn't. It's nearly about 150 years. Forgive me my maths. Um, we've got a rich history. But this is what he says here. A church with a rich history, flawless music, powerful preaching. Yes. Amazing childcare, we definitely have that. A paid-off mortgage, I wish that were the case, or pray that's the case, I pray that's the case, I don't wish. A stellar attendance, no, pretty good. But sleepily, well, above average, but sleepily operating out of the resources of the flesh instead of prayer is headed towards tragic inconsequentiality, is what he says. If we rely on the flesh... Instead of prayer, we are heading for tragic inconsequentiality. May it not be, Lord. If they will turn, if they will pray, if they will turn from their wicked ways, if we will humble ourselves, if we will turn to God in prayer... He says, I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. What does that mean? I will heal their land. Bearing in mind, at the time, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about the nation of God, the place, a particular place. What does it mean in our era that God is going to heal their land? Well, firstly, I think it means he's going to restore the church. Revive the church, strengthen the church, make her more effective in her mission, more loving towards Jesus, more loving toward one another, more mature, more like Christ, you could say, couldn't you? You'd like a church that's more like Jesus, wouldn't you? Where everybody's more like Jesus, loving each other, prayerful, worshipful, effective in mission. I think that's what we mean by heal your land. This is the land. You are the land of God. You are the people of God. This is this era that we're in. And God will heal your land. Heal us. Restore you. Restore me. Restore other churches as we pray. I think that's the promise that's offered here. But we're also talking about, I'm sure, an overflowing of that into the communities around us and seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. I've been interested to watch... Um, coverage of that Asbury revival. Has anybody seen that? any of that? Just raise your hand. Is any of you aware of this? Okay. Is that a few of you? It's about half of you. I would encourage you to look up Asbury revival on uh, YouTube and just watch some of the stuff. Look at some of the coverage where God is moving in power in this chapel, in a college, in Asbury, a small place in America. And... It's amazing to see thousands and thousands of people, many young people, returning back to Christ, returning back to Jesus. You can see it happen in our modern day. Oh, we're, we're so modern people. No, 
People are desperate. People are desperate. There's a, there's a thirst. There's a hunger and thirst. What are we here for? What's this world about? What's life about? There's a hunger and thirst because many people are sheep without a shepherd and their shepherds are teaching them nonsense. We are here. We're created by God. We're created to know God. We're created for purpose in this world. And in this sort of example we're seeing in Asbury, we're seeing people turning back to God. And that's the sort of thing we will see if we will humble ourselves and pray together. When the band come up, we're going to worship together. So in response, we said a revolution in praying together leads to spiritual revolution inside and outside of the church. In response, will we allow faith to revolutionize how we pray together? Will, will you allow your faith to rise to this promise of God that if, if you and I will humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways and pray, he will hear, he will turn to us, he will heal us, and he will heal our land. Will we allow our faith to rise for this? Let's pray together in families. If you're in a family, I appreciate some of you are not, but if you are in a family, set an example of praying together. If you've got very small children, set them the example. May they be raised in a family that prays together. It can sometimes be tricky, but do the best you can to do it. Pray with friends. When you meet a friend, pray for them. Pray with them. What are you worried about? What are you concerned for? Pray together. In our organized prayer meetings, what we call Prayer Central, this afternoon, three till four, one hour, come along. Let's pray together. Bring your children if they're of a suitable age. We don't, we don't mind about noise at all. As a normal part of church life, we need to create a culture of praying together and seeing God move in power. A revolution in praying together will lead to spiritual revolution amongst ourselves and in our communities. Let's stand and let's worship together.